Say goodbye to countless spreadsheets and endless email threads when you automate compliance with Vanta. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit-ready results in weeks instead of months. Customers report saving over 300 hours of manual work and up to 85% of associated costs. And with 200-plus integrations, you can easily monitor and secure the tools your business relies on. Join the 5,000 fast-growing companies that leverage Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. Vanta skills with your business, helping you successfully enter new markets, win bigger deals, and earn customer trust. Unsupervised learning listeners get $1,000 off Vanta at vanta.com slash unsupervised. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash unsupervised. Unsupervised learning listeners meet Mimecast. They're in the business of taking companies at risk of cyber attack and putting them at ease. So imagine it's Monday morning, you're cruising through hundreds of unread emails. Your impulse to properly click, download, or respond could be a prompt to launch a cyber attack. An email address is a direct digital path to the mind, the machine, and data of every person in your organization. It needs better security. And I know what you're thinking, I'm all set. I have M365 protection. It might not be enough. This is where Mimecast comes in. They've developed a system that fortifies your email security and reduced costs, risks, and complexities, enabling you and your business to work protected. So before you click your next email, visit mimecast.com to start your free 30-day trial. Welcome to Unsupervised Learning, a security AI meaning-focused podcast that looks at how best to thrive as humans in a post-AI world. It combines original ideas, analysis, and mental models to bring not just the news, but why it matters and how to respond. All right, welcome to Unsupervised Learning. This is Daniel Meisler. All right, episode 400. That means eight years of grinding on this thing. And uh feels pretty good to have pushed through it for all these years. And still excited to do every episode. So let's get into it. So wrote one essay this week titled, AI Will Likely Crush the B2B Services Economy. Basically, some back-of-the-napkin analysis of how much AI could impact B2B services and overall GDP. So the services industry is around 75% of GDP. And half of that is B2B services, or half of that is services. Or I'm sorry, half of that is B2B. So what that means is, these are the services that businesses give businesses. It's not a product being produced by the business and being given to the consumer. It's the middleware, right? It's um, optimization. It's um, doing finances for them, um, doing uh, payroll for them or whatever. So from one business to another. And it's exactly the type of stuff that AI is going to get really, really good at. It's already really good at. And once it starts sinking its hooks into that, it's going to start eating that. And that's uh, some analysis we did, part of a conversation I had with uh, Joel Parrish about this. And uh, pretty interesting analysis, even though it's very informal. Basically did a bunch of Google queries and some uh, AI queries. And um, you can check out the results there. Security news. So Ben Rothke has a really cool post talking about the discrepancy between what's happening with why there are so many open cybersecurity jobs and why there are so many people looking for cybersecurity jobs and they can't get hired. They can't even get interviews, really. 
And what he basically says is that it comes down to technical skills. Like all these people who are looking for jobs and can't find one, it's because they can't actually write code and push code. That's essentially what he's saying. And I would say I agree with that. I would say, though, that it's not just being a developer. Technical is what matters. So being a developer is one way to be technical, but there are other ways to be technical. The way I define being technical is knowing the lowest layer, innermost details of a particular thing. And that could be audit, that could be pen testing, that could be bug bounty, that can be uh, managing a security program. But you have to know the nitty gritty details. In fact, managing a security program might not be it because you're not doing the details of the particular things. But like say a vendor security management program, um, doing a bake-off between one product and another product. You have to know the ins and outs of those things. Uh, being a threat modeler, uh, being a pen tester, all those things are other ways to be technical, right? And there's a million of them. The problem is hiring managers are looking for those details. They need somebody who lands on Monday and starts working. Uh, they don't, they're not looking for somebody who comes in and is like, oh, I have a degree and I have a, or I have a cer certification and, you know, what do I do, boss? Tell me what to do. And they're like, well, I, take your pick. I've got to, I need to do this. I need to do this. I've got a million different things. Like, jump in there and do something. And they're like, well, when's the training? I need to, I need to be trained. You've got to train me. Otherwise, I can't do the job. It's like they're just tired of having that conversation. So they only want to hire people who have already done it or have shown competence in being able to do it. This is why having a blog is so important. Um, it's not specifically a blog. This is why emoting, talking about the knowledge that you have or that you are gaining actively, failing in public, learning in public, this is why this is so important. This is why people can go from barely picking up a thing, becoming competent with it online, talking about it in social media, and having a job, and they, they did this in the course of six months or a year. Whereas somebody could go and get a master's degree um, or a bachelor's or whatever in like every certification possible and they still can't get a job because they, they get interviewed and the hiring manager is like, yeah, this person doesn't know anything. I'm going to have to train them. And that's if they even pick it up after I train them. So the difference between somebody who could do the actual details on Monday and somebody who the hiring manager has to train is vast. And that is the same distance between millions of open cybersecurity jobs and millions of people looking for cybersecurity positions who can't get hired. And that's the difference. And, and that's why uh, that, that's what he's talking about in this thing. And I have my own take on this. I called uh, my essay on what hiring managers want. And if you scroll through this, it's basically talking about, uh, well, that's like the uh, meta skills or the soft skills stuff. But um, technical skills is like product selection. Oh, we, we have to pick between these products. You have to do a bake-off. Well, you've got to know everything about that. You've got to know everything about the details. Um, ad hoc security assessment, just a random security assessment. Hey, I need you to go look at this. Tell me if there's any really bad problems. What does really bad mean, right? It, that, that has to be natural for you. And there's so many things here. Um, I, I've got it all in this post. And this is not a comprehensive list by any means. 
uh, preparing for and handling an audit, integrating a new security product into the company, creating a new tool. And then you've got your meta skills, which I prefer to say instead of soft skills, because soft skills implies that they're undervalued. Well, they are undervalued, but it implies that they don't have value when in fact they actually do. And this is excellent writing, fast learning, and mentorship. But all that to say, this is a really good post. And um, this, to me, is the best explanation out there for the gap between open positions and people looking for work. Next one is on this company called HeyGen, which basically takes, like, uh, I'm doing video here, and you can see my mouth moving in association with the sound. Well, what they do is they take another language, like Spanish. I happen to speak Spanish, but let's say Mandarin. Um, they could take and do a Mandarin version of what I'm saying right now. And not only will it change it so that it's actually in my voice, it sounds like I'm speaking Mandarin. Not only will they do that, but they will change my mouth to look like I'm speaking it as the words are coming out. So it really is a deep fake, but in the best possible way. Um, only problem is, what if they give you a different script, right? What if they say, okay, I'm saying this in China, it's whatever, pro-CCP or anti-CCP or something that the government's going to come after me for? Well, they could change the text that I'm saying and also change how my mouth moves so it looks like I actually said it. And that would be uh, kind of scary. Although what I'm wondering is like, you see I'm gesturing to make points. I wonder how they would do that. Would they add the hands in there? Or would uh, that just look off and actually make the video look a lot less authentic? I'm sure that'll be solved fairly soon, but I wonder if it's solved now. So yeah, we need a system that basically, and the people that are best suited for this are the operating system vendors, right? So it's Microsoft, it's Apple, it's Android uh, or Google. So it's like, you need to be able to have some sort of watermark in the content that basically says, yeah, this did come from that person. And this is why I think it's also so important to have content on your own site and to broadcast your own content. Because if I post this video that I'm making right now and I put it at danielmiesler.com and then I simply link it other places, the original source that gets loaded into, say, the operating system from Apple uh, some some years in the future, or maybe even months in the future, it'll be like this was authenticated through um, cryptography to have come from the authoritative website for Daniel Meisler. And that is the type of thing that we're going to need. Uh, something like that. It, it could be a different technique. But we need something like that to be able to say this is the authoritative source and it wasn't modified. That was the other thing. Um, you've got to have a hash on the thing um, so, so that you know it wasn't modified. So not only did it come from the right place, but it wasn't changed in the meantime. So that is a whole industry. Like th this thing is a whole industry that needs to be developed. I haven't heard anyone talking about this. I, I, I haven't behind cloned, closed doors, people talk about the need for it. But I've not seen the startups come out yet. Um, it's a hard problem. I mean, how do you even get into that space uh, when you need to essentially be somebody like Google or Apple to even try to pull it off? 
Although I guess startups can kind of mess with it and get a working system going or develop a standard. But anyway, I digress. <clears throat> All right, next one, CVE farming. So this uh, researcher, Dan Lorenc, uh, or Lawrence, or Lorenc, probably Lorenc, has highlighted an issue where people are submitting like vulnerability bombs essentially to the CVE system uh, in hopes that they're going to get one of these vulnerabilities assigned to their name. So it's a big uh, feather in your cap if you're a security researcher and you have a CVE to your name. So what they're doing is taking these super old, very high rated things and just bombarding them. And the vetting system is not filtering them out. And they are actually getting assigned to a person as a CVE. And uh, he's, he's calling it up. So very cool. Vulnerabilities, lots of Apple zero days. When you see an Apple vulnerability, you basically want to patch. This one, in the most recent one, was for Predator spyware. GitLab has a critical flaw, um, and the vulnerability is at 9.6 on the Richter scale. Fortinet, security patches, Juniper, Nagios, and some malicious NPM packages. UK's Cyber Operations Center is now conducting hunt forward operations, which are defensive activities, but you basically go to the another country, uh, to this target country, and you basically sniff traffic all over the country. I assume from like, I don't know what you do. You, you get a home residence, you listen to the outside traffic. I'm not sure exactly what they do, and I'm sure they're not going to talk about it. But they gather traffic from the target country to basically learn uh, more about them and, and see what the attack traffic looks like. Microsoft's data leak. So yeah, an AI team uh, published a bunch of training to GitHub, but it was actually full of other stuff as well. Uh, 30,000 internal Microsoft team messages, secrets, private keys, passwords, all kinds of stuff. This is one way AI is really going to help security, specifically the um, defender side of security, because imagine having hundreds or dozens or thousands of AI agents that can actually monitor every part of that process. So they know if the content is inside of the thing you're about to publish, they could check it before it gets published. And again, it comes, it's almost like watching for meteors. Like we don't have enough eyes um, who are actually using telescopes to watch that. We need AIs to be looking at telescopes because they don't sleep, right? They don't sleep, they don't rest, they just keep watching. And they can also keep watching for us making mistakes like this, configuring S3 buckets to be open, to not be encrypted, all those sorts of things. They could be checking constantly, you know, on an ongoing basis and looking for thousands or millions of different config problems that could cause a problem uh, security wise. So really looking to that aspect of AI to really helping the defensive side of security. OpenAI is launching a OpenAI red teaming network, which is a group of contracted experts to help make their AI models more robust. All right, Clorox's cyber attack. So a uh, rare case where cyber incident directly impacts the bottom line. So they're recovering from an attack, but they said it's actually gonna hurt their books because they had to switch to manual ordering and processing during the attack. 
And this is very common with uh, ransomware. They actually hurt because they stop production. That's what, that's the big problem. And what is actually going on at T-Mobile? So they are now, uh, evidently they were um, seeing customers reporting that other people's sensitive information uh, was showing up when they logged into their own account. And this is one of many uh, uh, situations like this that they've had. They've had multiple breaches this year. And what I want to know is like, are we just over reporting like everything that uh, T-Mobile does wrong? Or is it really this bad? Are they really that much worse than like AT&T and Verizon? And FBI and CISA have issued a joint warning about Snatch. Ransomware is a service operation, been active since 2018. The APT36 group, also known as Transparent Tribe, is using Android apps that mimic YouTube to infect devices with their signature rat. And Chinese hackers have come up with a new Linux backdoor called SpriceOx, which is a spinoff from a Windows backdoor called Troculus. And the malware is tied to the Chinese government. Technology news. So ChatGPT is getting voice and vision, which means you can actually talk to it and it'll talk back in a natural voice. I've already seen some demos of that. It was really cool. And I've had some access to the vision part of this. And it's really cool. You can basically drag a, an image in there and say, what's going on in this image or tell me about this image. And like, if you put in a really complex, like infographic, you could do data analysis, kind of like if you uploaded a spreadsheet, it's uh, really cool. And this is slow to roll out, uh, kind of like some of their other features, they're still rolling it out. And Cisco bought Splunk for 28 billion. I think this is basically an AI play. They need to be in the AI space or, you know, Cisco is going to get uh, crushed by people who are, and they know this. So I believe that they did this because they want to go where the data is. And Splunk has a lot of data, a lot of companies send tons of logs there. So it's a good place to go and aggregate that that's a theory. It's not really based on any insider information or deep analysis. It's just a theory. And GitHub has rolled out passkeys for all users. Hallelujah. I absolutely love this. And I can't wait for this to come to financial apps. Like, why aren't all banks using uh, passkeys? I, I guess the answer is they're conservative and they go slow. That's a good answer. But there are basically too many apps that are only using password or they're using SMS. And I've seen a million of these things and they're still active today in 2023. Why? Why not get off of passwords as much as possible, or at least get off SMS and go to passkeys, which I think are way, way better than other types of 2FA. Dolly uh, has released, or OpenAI has released Dolly 3. And basically, long and short of this is that Dolly 3 is really, really good at doing exactly what you tell it to do. It'll make the exact image or very close to the exact image that you asked for. It doesn't look nearly as good as Midjourney, so that's the trade-off. Microsoft is putting Copilot in basically everything. It is kind of becoming like the new Clippy, but in a good way. And uh, yeah, they're putting it in the core OS, Windows 11. They're also putting it in the core apps. They're also putting it all in the new uh, Surface um, systems, the new laptops, or kind of 
laptop tablet-y thing. I'm excited about this. I'm not a Windows person, but I'm excited about this. Amazon had to throttle how many new books you can publish. I think they cut it down to like three a day because uh, people were just uh, using AI to write books and they were posting like dozens per day and often very low quality. And so they had to throttle it. AI girlfriends, lots of different services here. This article talked about like three or four. I checked out two of them and actually signed up for them. One was kind of garbage and the other one was porn and garbage. It was basically configure like your ideal um, sexual thing and it had a bunch of, it was just, it was just super, super nasty, super extreme. And I was like, I can't believe like this is a real app. Um, of course there is only fans, but I don't know. just, it just felt very strange. Um, nursing robot expansion, diligence, nursing robot called Moxie is getting $25 million. I was very struck when Elon said robots are going to be way bigger than electric cars. So I, I think, uh, companies like this are really exciting. Not everyone needs a car. Everyone does need help around the house or not everyone, but a lot of people are going to need help around the house, especially when you have elderly parents, we have a demographic explosion happening. Elderly people can't get around, can't lift groceries, can't move things, can't take care of themselves like medically. And there's a massive shortage of nurses. This is going to be huge. Human news, Iran's hijab bill. So Iran put out a new bill that could put women in jail for up to 10 years for inappropriate attire. And it's also the first anniversary of the protests, the crackdown that the government did against women not wearing hijab. And at the same time, over in England, they're putting up a statue celebrating the hijab. And I think it's very interesting that religion is able to make something like the hijab simultaneously a symbol of freedom and also a symbol of oppression. And it absolutely is. Uh, in Iran, it's, it's oppression for not for everyone, but for obviously for the protesters. And in the UK, it's being celebrated as freedom. And I, I think it absolutely is both. And it's uh, really interesting to think about. Germany is now the worst performing major developed economy. And this is because of the loss of cheap natural gas um, from Russia because of their invasion of Ukraine, of Ukraine. U.S. has the single highest rate of children living in single parent households in the world, almost a quarter, which is three times more than the global average. Not the way we want to be winning here in America. And Americans are increasingly identifying as spiritual rather than religious. 47% of Americans identify as religious, which is down from 54% in 1999. It's not as much of a drop as I would have expected. But 18% say they are neither spiritual nor religious, which is double what it was in 1999, from 9% to 18%. And World Health Federation is mimicking what, well, not mimicking, they're mirroring what uh, Huberman said. 
I'm sure both got it from the same source and they're not copying each other, but basically any amount of alcohol is bad for you. That that's the bottom line. So I've cut out, um, pretty much all drinking. I have no alcohol in the house. I only drink at like conferences, which I only do like once or twice a year, maybe yeah, twice a year. And then, uh, if I'm out with friends, uh, for a special occasion, so I'm probably having like two beers a month now, uh, and sometimes none. And then, um, I'll get kind of silly with, uh, Moscow mules at a conference cause uh, that's my jam. But yeah, I'm, I'm not going to just have it as a regular thing. I'm not going to consider it regular and okay in moderation because that's not true anymore. Cool analysis here from the Atlantic basically says that airlines have become more like financial institutions, um, creating points out of nothing and then selling them for real money to banks with co-opted or co-branded credit cards. That's genius analysis from the Atlantic. And uh, H&M, uh, similar to Zara and Uniqlo, have started charging for returns in the UK, uh, which should help the environment. But I'm, I wonder if it's going to hurt the economy. UK likes to hurt itself. You ever, you ever see that? Notice that? I mean, Brexit, they're doing this. They're also massively pushing back against AI. I feel like they're just grinding themselves to a halt. Whatever. All right. Uh, according to Politico and Morning Consult polling, 57% of registered voters say they will probably or definitely get the vaccine, which is nearly triple the uptake of last year. That's good news. And uh, here's a question. What is going to win, open source or closed source AI? So I think open source has a high chance of ending up with tons of market share. And I equate this to Mac OS and Linux, right? So if you go onto an airplane and you look at most people in the US, they have iPhones. They don't have Linux phones. Um, what is a Linux phone, really? Um, I guess Android is Linux, but not my point. The point is consumer high-end electronics is one thing. And that might still be like GPT-7 or something that you pay for there's a premium on it. It's direct to consumer. But what's running the airplane uh, operating systems, right? The entertainment system, like tons of different subsystems. What's running basically the planet? Linux, embedded uh, hardware running Linux. And I think the same is going to happen with AI. Because AI, you're not actually trying to be the best possible model. You can be good enough right? Humans only need a certain bar of good enough, and they don't really know the difference between you going way above that. At least that's my opinion. Um, so if you need to get the weather and you say, what is the weather? And it pulls it, probably a bad example, but as long as you get the accurate weather, it doesn't matter if you got it and it was really, really hard or if it was really, really easy, as long as you got the same answer. So I think open source AI is going to give the most people a good enough answer. And that's why it's going to take over and like ultimately have like 90% market share, I imagine. And then for the super high end use cases, which are going to cost a lot of money and only be available to people who can pay that money, you're still going to have the high end proprietary algorithms. That's, that's my guess. Had a really good book club this week. We picked the new book, which is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. 
and discovery section, slingshot recon, tracker radar, uh, data set of the most common third-party domains, go exploit, fluff version 2.1, bypassing SSL pinning and TikTok, WSL 2.0, six weeks to a new brain, Vim and LLMs, MBA grads are buying entire companies through a phenomenon called entrepreneurship through acquisition, ETA. SATs are changing next year to a new format that will de-emphasize speed. Building knowledge graphs with LangChain and Matploit. This one is super cool. You basically feed it anything and it builds a knowledge graph. I'm actually going to do something like that later tonight. Um, marriage as a poverty solution. Orwell's Complete Works. Project Gutenberg has turned thousand, thousands of its titles into audiobooks using synthetic thin speech. No, synthetic speech. Exploiting Okta for penetration testing. There's a whole branch of math that's all about knots. Training smaller AI models to outperform giants. And social media's impact on teen girls. This is quite a powerful article. And the recommendation of the week... Reevaluate your task list with the retroactive perspective of December 31st of this year. So a few months from now, what have you done this year? What did you set out to do? Where are you on that list? And look at your current daily, weekly plan. Like what are you trying to accomplish in the next few days or weeks? And is it actually going to solve those things that you haven't done yet from your overall thing that you wanted to get done this year? right? If your goals haven't changed and you're not accomplishing them yet, what are the things that you are doing right now that shouldn't be on that list? What should you be dropping from what you're currently working on? Because you might be squirreling down into some hole where you're going to regret that when you look back from December 31st and say, damn, I didn't get any of this done. So basically zoom out, look at your goals and your progress to your yearly goals and reevaluate. And the aphorism of the week, we first make our habits, then our habits make us. We first make our habits, then our habits make us. John Dryden. Unsupervised Learning is produced and edited by Daniel Meisler on a Neumann U87 AI microphone using Hindenburg. Intro and outro music is by Zombie with a Y. And to get the text and links from this episode, sign up for the newsletter version of the show at danielmeisler.com slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.